our hearts into our offerings, you know, our, our prayers. We just like, hello, God, right here. I, I, I tell you, I can assure you, if you're in this house and you're married and you're, and you're not living in willful sin, you and your wife praying together would really change the dynamic of your house. I'm telling you, it, it's hard for men and women to really get intimate enough to pray. It's, it's difficult for a man to stand up and be the priest of his home when his wife don't respect him to be that. So that we have to get to that place to where if, if we would just change that one little dynamic to start with, then all of a sudden now we have this, this double portion type of thing, two in agreement, that kind of thing. And it brings a powerful thing. It's like people who come to me and complain about something. I said, well, have you prayed and fasted yet? Fasted? You mean deny myself pleasure? And I, then I say, then you mu that must not really be that important to you. If you're not willing to fast and cry out to God on behalf of the need that you have or think you want to resolve, then it's not really that important. The offerings that we offer to God, represent us before God in heaven. And so, like Cain, and we talked about that, Yahweh doesn't look just at our offering. And remember, you understand this. I'm not talking about just money offerings. I'm talking about living sacrifices, lifting up holy hands. I'm talking about offering to God, offering to the body of Christ. Remember, the presence of God, we read in Hebrews, is only available through the veil of the body of Christ. That's why it drives me crazy when people talk about my personal Savior. I invite Jesus in my heart to be my personal Savior. I said, you mean personalized Savior? You mean custom, customized Savior? Because if you, it's heresy to think you can accept Yahshua as your Savior, but deny him to be your Lord. That's the most heretical thing we could ever do. Because I'm going to tell you, you don't customize the Lord. He demands everything. So... Yahweh doesn't look just at our offering, just like Cain and Abel. Joel shared it and went over on a Wednesday night after I've taught this about Cain. He also looks at the individual. He looked at Cain and his offering. He looked at Abel and his offering. So our offerings to be acceptable to God and not disgust him, you, he's looking at you too. He's looking at me too. I remember the Passover, you know, the lamb came. You had to put the blood. We talked about the blood this year. And those people had to focus on the identification of that lamb whose life-giving blood Yahweh would find acceptable to do what? To block his vengeance of deliverance on those who enslaved and killed his people. We have to take and learn what it takes to block the wrath and vengeance of God upon sin. Because he will be vengeful and his wrath will be poured out on sin. One sin put us in the position we're doing. That's how he feels about it. Willful sin and what we, God's been on us about. We got to believe this, that Yahweh is greater than anything there is. And he is not only able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, but he wants to for us on our behalf, his sons and daughters. I think it took a lot of faith for the children of Israel 
to believe God's promise that he was going to liberate them from slavery. Because I've read over and over with these slaves, uh, the Israelites, they revolted over and over all through history. And guess what? It never was successful. And when we look at our own house of bondage, this house, house number two, house number three, we have to acknowledge what's enslaving us and then find that right ally who does have the strength to liberate us, and his name is Yahshua. He is the King and the Lord of all things, and he is Lord over all things. He is stronger and mightier than anything that would enslave and put you in bondage. If you want to be liberated. A lot of people got liberated, get liberated, and they went right back into bondage. It's normal that Israelites were the same. They get delivered. And then they wanted to go back to eat those onions and garlic. They could probably still smell them on the desert. We got this manna. What about? Sometimes, listen to this. The misery of what we know is more comfortable than the freedom that's unknown. Many people just happy being miserable. That's just what they have been. That's who they've made themselves. They're going to keep wallowing in it because the, to get in liberty, it comes in an area not long, not, that's unknown. Okay, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to do that? I thought I was just going to have to, you know, get baptized. Or I thought I was going to have to do that. No, there's a requirement. This is what God required. But that's where the liberty is. But then you first have to believe that Yahweh is, that Yahweh existed. Because you can't please Yahweh without faith. And faith is the attaining of things that, I used to think this, of, that don't exist. I said, well, there's something that, that there, I, I desire that don't exist, so I'm going to use faith, you know, by confessing, by believing that it is there. And you always said, you're wrong. You're wrong here. Look, it does exist. You just can't see it. I mean, wait a minute. I'm going to tell you, that made it different for me. Because it, it didn't cause me to have the gift of having to create things. I didn't have to create my future, create money, or create what my needs were, or create these things. They're, they're already there. Johnny, you just can't see them. Why? Because my eyes are too blind by my willful sin. I'm too carnal. I'm not walking in by faith and by the Spirit. I'm walking by the flesh and sin, the law of sin and death. But the more I serve God, the more I have interaction with him, the more I'm honest with him, and the more I love him. Because the only thing different between a dead work and a living work is a, li a dead work is God's law, keeping God's law, and you have to and you dread it. A, a living work is you keep God's law because you love him. And that's where you're going to have to get to. Because there is no other power that has the ability to give you the strength to will and to do of his good pleasure except you love him. And like Reggie said today, if you love something, you don't have to try to do it. Well, I'm going to have to try to get my grandkids something. I try that. It just happens. Matter of fact, they call me up and tell me what to get. Now, listen. Here's a mind. I'm, I'm, I'm playing with your brains today. I'm trying to get you to look at something. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For, we must, for he that cometh to Yahweh must believe that he is. People don't even believe God is anymore. Let me tell you why. Because he, had, they, he hadn't been God to them because they taken the first chunk down payment and they've been living off of it. Instead of having to depend on God, trust God. Look, I'm going to walk in faith. Watch this. Watch this. I'm going to keep growing my faith. He, we must believe that he is, and watch this, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Not a casual inquiry. Didn't you pray that today? You started getting on my stuff this morning. 
started to tell you, you do it better than me anyhow. You might as well just finish it. Here we have this casual inquirer. God ain't interested in that. Are we diligently seeking him? Do we desire him because he's the one? Are we going to continue to just meet our own needs? Because if you do, you're going to be a per living perilous times. You're going to get mentally tormented. You're going to get wore out because that's just what happens. We have to have faith. Listen to this. All right. This is where I'm going to twist you a little bit. Ain't the first time I've done it, so it shouldn't be a surprise to you. That it was Yahweh who was the one that sent the destroyer. And Yahweh is the only one who can stop the destroyer. I, that's why I say, that's why that, that doctrine is so stupid. Because what we don't understand, we still think that, that Satan can fight, fight God. God created evil, the Bible says. So here he is. He's sending the destroyer to the children of Israel's homes. He said, but not only that, yeah, I'm, I'm the destroyer, but look, Here's the solution. Aren't you glad? Yeah, I've cursed the whole world, sin. Everybody's going to die. Death's on y'all. It, it, it'll give you much. But I'll tell you what, here's a solution for you. You don't have to do that. Man, i got to get into this this morning. We've talked about the, the, the way of Cain. And I've talked a little bit before about the sin of Balaam. It's so interesting to me. It begins with this king of Moab named Balak. And he saw how strong the Israel was when they were obeying God. Man, they could defeat any army. I mean, they ran over them. It was just easy. It was, it was a, a David and Goliath situation. That's where I want to be. I want to be a David in my Goliath situation. Anybody else want to be David? And he saw how strong Israel was. And the Israelites, even though they had no intention of fighting Moab, or destroy him, or that, or anything like that. Numbers twenty-two says, "But Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel." So what he do, does, he gets some people, other people, another country, the Midianites, who were further south, who were just as much as upset about the presence of this great big congregation of people. And they got together and they got a plan. This is what they said we're going to do. We're going to go to this guy named Balaam we heard about. And we're going to say, look, this group of people have come out of Egypt. I'm reading Numbers 22. And they cover the face of the earth and they're settling next door to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse these people for me. For they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that... He whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So they're going to call this guy named Balaam. How many of you know, I started to name this message Dumbass. But I didn't. But I could have. See, Balaam, I always assumed Balaam was just a man of God, Yahweh. Listen to this, what I found out. He, had a, he was a sorcerer, and he believed Balak, the king, believed that whoever Balaam cursed was blessed. I mean, blessed was blessed, and who he cursed is cursed. So the word Balaam means this, devour or destroyer. Now, this thing went crazy in my head. I'm usually done early with all my study and all. But when I, had to, I went to dinner last night and I came home, I still had to work on this thing. 
But he was not a prophet of Yahweh. He was not an Israelite. He was a soothsayer. How do you know that, Johnny? Well, the Bible says in Joshua 13, verse 22, the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. So here this is years later, this same Balaam, whose story we're going to look at, the Israelites wound up killing the soothsayer. So I want to talk about, once we establish that Balaam was a soothsayer, a sorcerer, the, you know, something called a, a diviner, fortune teller, however you want to call it. I want to look at this guy because he had a quality that, you know, Reggie already preached on this morning. And that is he had a problem with the sin of vacillation. He had a problem with the sin of double-mindedness. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Listen, and Yahweh will not, listen, make covenant with a double-minded person. I ain't making a covenant with you. You're going to change your mind. It says, so the elders of Moab, they came to Balaam. They told him what they wanted. And this is what he said in verse 8 of Numbers 22. And he said to them, all right, y'all spend the night here. And I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. This is interesting to me. But, so the princes, they stayed with Balaam. They spent the night with them. And so this revealed to me how weird this situation is about this guy Balaam. He was a heathen soothsayer, but he had knowledge of Yahweh, the one true living God. Why? Because, because of this. The reputation of God's people. My God, I think that may have been why he was interested on getting on the right side of God. He said, their God, man, look what he does. I want to get on that side. They may have been, I think, interesting. He wanted to get to know Yahweh. Because I think it would have been real good business for him to get with Yahweh. Don't you? I think you say, man, if I can get to the God that knows everything, and I'm a soothsayer, I can use God, he's going to tell me. And now, and I'm sure he used the... This is my opinion. He probably said, Ecclesia, Yahweh, Yahshua. He probably said all the, all the stuff, you know. He was fake as heck and phony, but yet he was Yahweh, Yahshua, all this kind of stuff, you know. He wanted to serve Yahweh and mammon. Yeah, I want to serve Yahweh and mammon. He wanted the best of both worlds. Does this sound familiar? So we read, verse 9, Then God came to Balaam and said, listen to this, God came to Balaam, Yahweh said, and it was probably Elohim, not Yahweh himself, and he said, Who are these men with you? Now not every individual who talks to God and who God uses is necessarily a child of God. Hello? We're dealing with God's people him protecting those people, he gets news, so to speak, that there's a guy that's going to go curse them. New Testament, Old Testament, the fact that God spoke to problem, I mean, to Balaam ain't a problem for me. Yeah, God talks to a lot of people. His angels direct a lot of people. Now, God's answer to Balaam came in verse 12. Balaam tells God why the people are here and what they want him to do and asks God, what should I do? 
and verse 12, it says, And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. Can y'all say that with me just one time? They shall not. Don't go. Do not go. Do not do that. Bad. Wrong. Don't do it. Okay. You shall not curse the people. Why? Because they're blessed. Now, I thought it was pretty clear. Lord, what do you want me to do? Don't go. I would like God to speak to me in that kind of clear, concise manner in a lot of things that I, I want to. And he does. But the problem is, you know, I mean, if you wanted to make a decision and you want to, want, went to God and he said to you just in audible terms, don't go. Do not do that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Be careful. Because most things he already has. So Balaam got the word of God. Hallelujah, I got a word. He, he knew it without question. It was clear. It was definite. It was unmistakable. It was final. Balaam, don't go with them. You can't curse my people, for they are blessed. Now, you might want to underline this for verse 12. He said, again, you shall not go with him, because later on the story, you're going to find out something that appears like God changed his mind. That looks like, what do you call it when two things are opposite? They contradict one another. If Balaam wants to obey God, he's going to have to forget about the whole thing. Okay, they're over here. They're offering me this money. I'm going to go there. I'll be famous. I'll be, oh, everybody will think, hey, you know, they'll, they'll think I'm the man. But in verse 13, I can kind of hear the tone of his voice. And it, it, it must have implied to those princes from Moab and Midian that, you know, he, he really wanted, he wanted to go. It was probably a little wishy-washy or uncertain, but this is what he said. Look, go back to your land. Go, go back to your land. Go back to your land for the Lord. The Lord's refused me permission to go with you. And this is what I heard in that. This is what I heard. I'd really, want, I'd really, I'd really like to go. It ain't me. It's him. I can almost see and feel that money. And I'd like to have the honor and prestige that Balak is offering me. But I, I just, I'm just not able to do it. Fellas, just go on back. I can't do it. So when they went back and told Balak how hesitant he was and wishy-washy he was and kind of like, well, I don't, you know, he wasn't convinced. So he was wishy-washy. And so he said, you know, I think Balaam really does want to come. I think Balaam really does want to come do this. So he convinced that every man has a price and he sent some more princes, prince, princes, and guess what they did? It was a better offer. Verses 14 through 17, they tell Balaam what the king's going to do for him if he'll only come and curse the Israelites. That's all you got to do. You got to do nothing else. We'll pay your way, all expenses. We're going to give you this big pay. Matter of fact, we're tripling the amount. You come, you're going to be a hero. And I want you to look at, at verse, uh, Balaam's answer in verse 18. This is beautiful. So Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. gold. I could not go beyond the word of my Lord to do less or more. I said, it's my man. I love a man of God and a woman of God who says that kind of thing. I wish I, all of us would have that, be able to say things like that. I mean, really, some believers in this age of grace who know God's will for life, they know it and won't do it and would say to God, look, God, well, wait, today I surrender. I'll do anything you want me to do and not one thing less and not one thing more, but your will for my life, not my will, but thine be done. Bro, we have a turnaround, bro. You hear me? You're talking about revival. You're talking about new rivers of living water coming out of us. If we could have that attitude. But the only problem is he didn't mean it. 
Yeah, I say unto thee, I'll do anything, Lord, you want me to do. Vacillating. Wishy-washy. Just empty words like a lot of us utter at times. And the fact that he didn't mean it is clear in verse 19. So he goes on to say, now, 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 therefore, okay, I mean it. I can't do it. God said it. And this is what he said. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord. Let me go check one more time. Maybe I missed it a little bit. Maybe he said, it, oh, it's okay. Maybe he said, it's all right. And I'm going to tell you, that's about as much phony baloney as I've ever seen in my whole life. God already told him what to do, clearly, definitely, unmistakably, and finally. Hold on, fellas. Let me just, let me go. Hang on, just right here. Let me go check one more time with God. Maybe he'll let me go. Balaam wasn't seeking the will of God. Why? Because he already knew the will of God. He's seeking divine permission to do what was not God's will. He was wanting God's permission to do what God said is wrong. That money looked so good, man. I mean, it, was a, it was a great offer. But he, had, he just had a little thing, you know, and they were offering him fame and fortune, and he'd be a hero. He was trying to find a way to have all, all of that, listen close, but still somehow stay on the good side of Yahweh. <laughs> That's just funny to me. I tell you what, I'm only, yeah, I want, stay on, I want to stay on Yahweh's good side. But I, but I want this over here so bad. <laughs> so, uh, the Apostle Peter says, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. <laughs> I love that terminology. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. My God, dumbass. I, it came out. I knew I should have named it that, coach. I knew. I, I tried to not say it. I tried not to say it. I mean, I, you know, the word stupid, but I mean, you know, the whole story about Balaam and his ass and all that. I couldn't help it. Look, y'all hear me? This guy is a dummy. He's stupid. So guess what God did? The apostle Peter, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. That's called sin. Y'all know that. It's unrighteousness and there's righteousness. He loved to sin. But this wishy-washy, double-minded, vacillating in verse 19 is the beginning of of the end for Balaam. So for his surprise, when he went back to Yahweh, Yahweh let him have his wish. Holy smoke. Verse 20 and 21, it says, and, and Yahweh came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that shall ye do. So <laughs> Balaam rose up in the morning and he saddled that donkey. He went the princes of Moab. Was it God's will for Balaam to go? No. He already told him, don't go. But all this, uh, hey, God, you think I'm going to get big, 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 conniving, you know, thinking I'm going to get around this, I'm going to do this. Look, I'll do this. Or he, I'm sure he probably said something like this. I'll tithe off of it. I, I tell you what I'll do. I, I know what I'll do. Hey, if you'll just let me go out. When, when, I, when I was a kid, let me tell you this quick story. When I was a kid, my dad was, when he first started really serving God, he was serious. I mean, he was strict and serious. And so when I was nine years old, it was time to play Little League. Now, I always played baseball and stuff, the recreation stuff when I was a kid, you know, in school and all that. But when I got nine, we moved to a neighborhood 
And there was a little league, Southern Little League. So my dad said, no, you can't play. So what? Why? What? Worldly. Worldly. My, we didn't go to movies. We didn't go. We didn't, there was your, I mean, we, it was no makeup. Hey, well, my, 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 my little granddaughter, Presley, be in real big trouble right now in my daddy's church. <laughs> my dad, I tell you, if y'all need a makeup job, that girl can put it on, too. He put it on you perfectly. Preacher told me old barn needs painting every once in a while, so. <laughs> so, I told my daddy, Daddy, if you'll just let me play, I'll witness to every kid on the team. <laughs> and I finally convinced him. That's where I learned to start smoking and drinking and stuff, you know. <laughs> Nine-year-old Little League dugout. <laughs> was, it, was it God's will for Balaam to go? No. But this is what God will say. Listen to me, y'all. He'll say, okay, that's what you want. That's what you want. Go. You see, God don't force his will on you. I wish he would. I wish God would just bust my butt. And he does in a, in a side way. Because what I do, I get off on his wrath because without the protection of doing it the way he said for me to do it, I get right back in the, in the breezeway of his wrath. That's something that I think modern Christian has put and confused our minds with. God don't want to make you do his will. This is the whole covenant. There is a law, the law of love. And the Bible said, Yahshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if you don't keep his commandments, it means this. You don't love him. And if you don't love him, you can't get a well done. You can keep the commandments, but if you don't love him, you can't get a well done. He isn't going to insist on his own way. If we want to go our own way and have our will, then guess what? He's going to let you do it. But listen, the consequences are never happy. You can mark that down right now. You know, if you're young, man, that would be a good thing to learn at your young age. Man, Tucker, man, you, bro, how old are you now? 20, what? 25 years old. Bro, I don't mean that you got hair on the body and all that, but you're still just a your baby kind of in a way. You don't go screwing it up. Man, you stay on the, on the path of righteousness. You do it God's way. Because when you, any other way, it will not. You mark it down. It is not. You will not be happy. If you want me to, I can take you to a lot of people who are adults who wish they had learned this lesson at your age, but they didn't. And now they're reaping the consequences of being disobedient to the will of God and want to blame God on the sins that they sowed. Yeah, but I said I'm sorry. Listen, I'm talking about willful sin. When you sin and you fall, but yet you're diligently seeking, if you confess your sin, he'll, he'll wipe it out. But this willful sin, guys, I'm going to tell you. i can, I got to tell you. It has consequences. The pathway of self-will is a frightening place, and I don't want to be in it. Yahweh will give me the desires of my heart. I don't want him to give me the desires of my heart. I want him to give me the desires of his heart. The desires of my heart will not make, take me to an unhappy place. How do I know? Because I've been there. Just keep on demanding. Keep on saying, well, let's see, let's see if he'll let me do this. I'll get away with this. Let me do this. Let me. But the result is unhappiness. It's unhappiness. It's unhappiness. Remember the story of the children of Israel? They were grumbling and complaining about the manna. Uh, you know, it's always something about the cook. You ever notice how now when you go to a restaurant, 
somebody will go there and they'll, they'll get on the internet and be like their critics. You know, the asparagus is bad there. Don't ever go there again. I mean, the way we've always done it is I just tell Bevy, man, this salmon sucks. Let's leave. And that's all. I didn't, I didn't report it on the internet. We only had a little meat. Oh, if we only had a little meat. I just need a little meat. I, so guess what God did? Okay. You want some meat? Exodus 16 said they were up to their ears in meat. But the psalmist says he gave them their request. Psalm 106.15. You might want to write that down and put it on your refrigerator. David said he gave them the request, but he sent leanness to their souls. You want that? I want a fat soul. I don't want leanness to my soul. And that's what I named the message. A lean soul. It is a pretty sad state to be in. It's so sad. I see people that, so, it's just so sad. Now Balaam sinned against the light that God gave him. And, got the, and the result is going to be disastrous. If you think God gave you the okay to do something that he said don't do. And it's, but in your spirit you're good with it. <laughs> you're in trouble. It's going to be a disastrous result. If we continue on a course in the willful disobedience to God, we can look for the same kind of sorrow that Balaam got. It begins with the same wishy-washy, double-minded vacillation we see in his life in dealing with sin. A refusal to firmly and resolutely Say, no, that's contrary to the will of God for my life. And then turn and flee as fast as you can from that temptation. I taught years ago, years ago, when Yahweh was teaching me how to walk this walk. Johnny, position yourself for victory. Position yourself for victory, Johnny. Position yourself for victory. I'm going to tell you something I heard one time. There's a guy. He's a black man, and he's really big, and I think it's a church of God in Christ. I could be, which is pr predominantly a black denomination, the largest Pentecostal denomination in America, actually. That's where all them good singers have come from, man, the Clark sisters, and I mean, all of, oh, my God. Well, this man who is a national evangelist for them, listen close to me, is a homosexual. But he doesn't succumb to the temptation. Because he believes it's a sin. Now listen to me. No different than people who have inclinations to commit adultery. We don't do it. Why? Because we believe it's a sin. And y'all know, I don't go back and tell you what all I believe about how homosexuals are, all that. It don't matter. I want you to listen to what I'm at this point. So what he does, he travels all over America. But he never leaves home without at least four or five of the mothers of the church traveling with him. Because he does not want to put himself in a hotel room in the dark by himself and be bombarded by something that his obviously seems is a temptation that can overcome him if he's not watchful. Y'all, Can y'all hear what I'm saying today without being homophobic? I'm sure I don't agree with this gospel, but I'm going to tell you what. He, he's one of the smartest evangelists I've ever seen. That guy positions himself for victory. Told my wife about this yesterday. She said, "That's for you know that any any man traveling by himself need to take some mamas of the church with him. Get in there, man. Y'all come on. Somebody say that's good preaching, Johnny. Okay, it's good preaching, Johnny. Turn around and flee from temptation. 
we have this proneness in us to flirt with temptation, to be where we ought not to be and to see things we ought not to see. We put ourselves in the way of temptation, and then we wonder why we're falling so often. My God! You know, if you're an alcoholic, don't go to the bar. Don't go to the liquor store. If you don't buy none, you won't get none. And then what happens? That sin, that willful sin will get a hold of our lives, and, the, and we'll want to sin more. And the more we sin, the more we want to sin. Are you hearing me? I'm talking to everybody here. Ain't nobody exempt from what I'm talking about right now. This is the devil. This is the Satan that Paul talks about in Romans. That law that works in us. Then we get hung up on our sins and we just can't seem now to extricate ourselves from the bondage of that thing. And the consequences begin to start. God wants us, Ecclesians, to resist temptation by the power of his spirit word. That's why he gave it. We have no excuse. If you are full of the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. We out of gas, bro. We ain't got no spirit hardly. We don't pray no more. We don't seek God diligently anymore. We just kind of flow in life. You don't really need him. You get sick, go to the doctor. You run out of money, get credit. You don't want us to be wishy-washy like Balaam. Oh, man. Well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. saying, yeah, no. I want you to look at, as I close this, I want us to look at God's, God's warning to Balaam. Numbers 22, 23 to 35. Let me tell you what. If you are an Ecclesian, you will never get out of God's will without him not warning us of being a dumbass. The foolishness of our way. When I sin willfully, I'm going to tell you, I feel horrible. You know why? Because I've developed that. I don't want to sin. I hate sin. Hatred of sin, what is that? The fear of the Lord is the hatred of sin. And I want to tell you, I fear God because I don't want to put myself on that on to the wages of unrighteousness because I know ain't nothing happy there. Life's hard enough like it is. I sure don't need to be out in the middle of it. I got to tell you, my Yahweh is so gracious. He always warns me. He always quickens my heart. He convicts me. Balaam's warning by God brings us to the famous part of this story, and that's a, tonk, a talking donkey. And I know people have criticized that just like, you know, the speaking serpent. And I don't want to get into metaphoric stuff or whatever. But I, I can just say this, bottom line, in verse 22, that then God's anger was aroused. Why? Because he went. He told him he could go. Yeah, you want to go? Go. But God got mad at him. You know why? Because he knew God really didn't want him to. But guess what he did? He just did what he wanted to do anyhow. And it hurt God. I don't know how you can hurt God. The Bible uses the word anger. God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord, uh-oh, y'all know about the angel of the Lord? Listen to me. We done activated that thing through our first fruit offerings. And what he was supposed to do and has been doing, he has done. But now his position in our life has changed. Now he's standing against you if we're living in willful sin. If you're not, he's standing with you and for you. To do what? To stand in the way as an adversary against Balaam. Now the angel of the Lord is our adversary. You know what the word in the Bible is for adversary? Satan. That's all it means. And many times in the Bible, the word Satan with a capital S 
is used for nothing more but the word adversary. And he was riding on a dumbass riding a dumbass. And his two servants were with him. Listen, notice that God's anger was kindled against him. That doesn't mean God got, gets mad like we do in selfish anger. He's infinitely righteous. He's infinitely just. Sin is an offense to his righteousness. And what it does, it demands a response from God. When you offend the righteousness of God, you're going to get a response from him. And it ain't going to be nice. Sometimes the scripture put that response in human terms. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled. But not like we get angry. We have sinful anger. That was if we can anger and sin not. But no, listen, I'm going to tell you why God got angry. Because he went. Because he went. Well, didn't God tell him to go? Yeah. But Balaam knew that wasn't what God wanted. Okay, then go then. Just when you'll be, go. The reason God's anger is aroused at us is because we just do whatever the hell we want to do. Because we just do, we're going to live, we're going to live sin, we're going to live this way, and if God don't like it, tough. God's angry at people. Now, the angel of the Lord that we've activated, we, we got to get him reactivated in the right spot because now he's opposing us. Now he's an adversary to us. We don't want that. We don't need that. All Yahweh did is said, I'm going to let you just go the way that you're, you're so hell-bent on going that you keep insisting on going. Look, just go, dummy. And God was angry because of it. Well, what was he doing? Listen close. His intent, what was Balaam's intent? To prophesy and curse who? God's people. When people lay out of church, man, people don't tithe. People don't come and give their gifting. Let me tell you what. You make God mad because what you're doing is you are not blessing his people. Balaam was intent doing that. And he was trying to secure Balak's riches. Whatever our motivation may be. God's going to show him the foolishness of his disobedience. And listen how he's going to do it. He did it through a dumb animal. A dumb animal had to tell him the truth because he was too dumb to obey God. The animal knew. Dude, dude, are you crazy? Don't you see this angel of the Lord? No. Too blind with willful sin. And you know the story goes as well as I do, you know, there's an angel in the path. Adam don't see the angel, but the donkey does. God Almighty. Huh? Rape Yeah, you dumb, you dumb donkey. It's more has more spiritual insight than we do sometimes. So he gets mad at the donkey and he starts putting a whooping on her. That's what we call it in Georgia. I never got a whipping, I got a whooping. With his staff and gets that donkey back on the path again. And he no sooner gets her on the path, a path that was between these two walls, and the angel of the Lord appeared again. And sure enough, being blind and dumb, Balaam can't see the, ankle, the angel, but the donkey again can see it. So the donkey rears back, and she, as she does, she crushes Balaam's foot against that wall. Now, Balaam's really ticked off now. So he gets his stick, and he whops her harder and harder and gets her going again. You stupid donkey. Go, 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 go. Let me go. Find my destruction and the consequences of my sin. Hurry and get me there. Angel appeared a third time. This time the donkey lays flat down in the middle of the path. And he started kicking a dead horse. 
He just laid down. Like, Look, dog. I believe he could have hit that donkey on the head with a two-by-four to get her attention. But that monk donkey was not going to be moved from that position. She was not going to be moved. Why? Because he saw an adversary. He saw the angel of the Lord said, dude, if, while he's trying to kill you, he's probably going to kill me too. I'd rather get beat by you than the angel of the Lord to be my adversary. This time Balaam loses his cool and he goes berserko and comes unglued and he beats the tar out of that donkey. I'm sure that donkey may have never been beat like that before. You know, things like this happens to people who turn their backs to the will of God. When a person willfully and knowingly resists the revealed word of God and the convictions of God's spirit, then he gets out of sorts with everybody and everything. You can't even hang out and have relationships with people, have fellowship. You don't want to be around people, you know. They'll lose their temper. They yell and scream when this inner frustration comes on for whatever uh, is, is going on and for, uh, for on whomever is near and whatever is nearby. Poor dog, you come in the house, dog gets kicked. Kids get slouched. Doors get slammed. They're doing something, some other thing, because they got to somehow, listen, release the tension of guilt. And that comes from being outside the will of God. Isaiah 57 says this, verse 21, There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. It's at this point that the donkey spoke, and this is what he said. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you? You've struck me these three times. And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you abused me. I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. You know, I've had to be a dumb donkey in a lot of people's lives. And stand up here and people get mad at me. They don't like it. They don't know why you talk like that far because the angel of the Lord is, got, is ahead and it ain't going to be good for you. I do it because I love you. I love you. They punish me, man. People, they, they try to punish me by, you know, absence, by not talking to me. So, no, you don't. We're just trying to help people, aren't we, guys? Did that donkey really talk? Look, I can say this. God created the universe. You don't think he can make a donkey, a voice coming out of a donkey? What's that guy, honey, that can imitate singers? You tell me all the time, you say, who's that? Terry Fader. You know who Terry Fader is? He can make a donkey talk. He's a ventriloquist. So I don't have problems. You know, it's a minor thing. I accept it. Why? Because God's word said it. I don't have a problem thinking that God can make a donkey tonk. Honky tonk. Donkey tonk. Peter thought it happened. He wasn't a dummy. He said, look, but he, Balaam, was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Hallelujah. I'm here today. Yakety yak. A talking donkey to save you and rebuke us for our iniquities. Peter thought he did it. I accept it too. That donkey talk. God uses that phenomena to try to drill some sense into Balaam and say it. Don't you think when that donkey got up and said, look, dude, the angel of the Lord, you don't think that may would have made him stop a minute and say, what'd you say? You know what I mean? Wouldn't that, just think about it. It's like, do not go further. Oh, oh, you know, you know, don't go further. What? It seems like he almost came to his senses, but it took a donkey talking to him to do it. 
donkey tonk. <laughs> then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his drawn sword in his hand. I want your eyes to open to make sure the angel of the Lord ain't standing as your adversary on the path you're going down. He's really there to stop you from going down the path of unrighteousness to get you back on the right path. He's there really to stop you. He's going to stop you. And you know what? All kind of crap's going to happen. I say it because we're too blind to just do it because we know the right thing to do. We're still doing these things. He's stopping you. You can get back over here, and I'm helping you. He saw that. He bowed his head and fell flat on his face, the Bible says. And this is like what the angel said. Quit striking Johnny. I mean, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I, have, I come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Like the way of Cain. This is the sin of Balaam. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. I want to tell you what, there's some donkeys in our lives. And we don't think, they, we don't see what they're really doing. There's some donkeys in our life, circumstances that come upon us, the trying of our faith, these kind of things. And a lot of times it's there to block you. It, it will be the cause. Your donkeys will be the cause of your well done. Because they'll say, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. I, this, this ain't good. I ain't, this ain't happy. There's the road to fulfillment and happiness. That's obeying God. Balaam was moving contrary to what God said. Why? He wants to have the both, best of both worlds. He wants all the things that this life offers and all the money can buy, and he's willing to pay any price to get, for, get it, even his own soul and the soul of his family and friends and his world. We can't live for ourselves. There's a lot of people in our world, man, I want to tell you, they feel the same way, and they want the approval of God. I told you a story before about a little guy, he He's uh, been on Sports Illustrated. He's, he's a nationally renowned athlete. Let me just put it that way. And, uh, you know, he asked me to marry him. I said, I ain't marrying you. Why not? I said, why are you getting married? You don't live for God. You don't serve God. You don't talk about God. You're, you're vulgar. You're all this kind of stuff. You always talk about all these things. I said, why do you even want to get married? Married is God's thing. You ain't God's thing. He said, well, what do I got to do? I got to join the church? I'll join the church. I said, no, you can't, you can't join the church. He said, well, how much money? Is it money? I said, no, man. Listen. He said, and so afterwards, we were on a whole number 12, and he comes over to me. He's worried about it because I call him an adulterer and all that stuff, you know. And so he comes over to me. Hey, I love the Lord. I said, dude, the Lord loves you too. That ain't enough to get your well done. Because he wants his cake and eat it too. He wants, he, he wants the approval of God in his life. That's what people do. They, people can give money thinking they will get the approval of God. Well, the, the thing is, God looks at the person and the offering. That's how he judges. He don't just say, okay, the offering. This guy lived for himself. People just live for themselves. They don't care, they don't care about ecclesia. They don't care if they're going to help us and not realizing it. They are nailing, they're, they're nailing the coffin down themselves. For their own lives. Because the only way you're going to receive from God is as you give what God has given to you. Or you're just going to freeze up. The things of this world is what people want. 
They live to build their bank accounts, their possessions, their comforts. They give no place for God in their lives whatsoever. He, they think he can play second fiddle, but I want to tell you, that's the American church. It's Jesus' Savior guy. He don't care what you do. Just keep bringing the money, and we don't care. But I'm preaching Yahshua the Lord, and he has a demand and a requirement. Look, we're, we're, we're trying to get eternal life, y'all. We're not trying to, to even, you know, get a new car or something at an auction bidding. You know, that's what it is. And yet, yeah. And yet they think God's going to just let them get a well done. They want the best of both worlds. That was Balaam's problem. God says it. And this is something that I have tried to put in my brain ever since I really learned about Balaam. And that is, is my way perverse with God? Is it converse with God? And then comes a confession. Listen to this. I have to say that everything else we know about Balaam in the Word of God, that this is as much as baloney as verse 19 was. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. If it displeases me, what in the world do you think this whole thing started from? I said, no. You cannot do it. Don't touch it. Don't smell it. Don't look at it. Don't do it. Of course it displeased God. God had already shown him what his will is. I don't have to ask God, is this a sin? I don't have to ask God that. There's no question. Balaam refuses to honestly acknowledge his sinful self-will. And he hopes somehow God's going to let him get his hands on that money that he really wants. God's going, God likes me. Whatever it may be, I want to tell you something. God's going to deliver us. He's already revealing. He's warning us with that angel. And, and it's going to be for his glory and for our sanity, really. There's no question about it. And I'm not really surprised that God's replying, verse 35. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. God is not saying my will has changed, but Balaam, if you really want to go that way, and that's the way you're going to have it, go ahead and do it. But you're not going to be able to say anything except what I tell you. It's an interesting story here. I want to pause today with this one thought, and I'll let you go. This man, Balaam, wanted the best of both worlds. But him, like anybody else who tries, he lost both worlds. Your world will come crumbling down. He lost this one, and he lost the world that's coming, a new world, a kingdom. God offers us the best in both lives. That's my opinion. This present life, this physical, present physical life, and to rule and reign with him forever. It's not just about being like the world. And the best of this life that you'll ever experience is when you have a living, obedient, honest life under the Lordship and protection of Yahweh's will. Thank you all for watching. Bye-bye. Yahweh, help us see 